Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. This week we're absolutely delighted to welcome a very special guest onto the show to kick 2021 off to an absolute belter. As always, if you see it on Instagram at Wee Bit of Everything Podcast or Twitter at Burrow underscore Mister or at ClarelandLewis94, we'd be awfully grateful if you could give us a wee share or a retweet just to help us get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. We're trying to reach as many listeners as possible in the year 2021. So, Mr. Burrow, who have we got in store for us today for the first episode of the year? Ah, it's good to be back. Uh, Happy New Year to you, Mr. Cleland. Um, we've got Evans is back on the uh, live again, so hopefully we can bring some good listeners on, as you say. And tonight we're crack- kicking off with an absolute belter with Claire Davis, an ultra-endurance cyclist who's uh, cycled 3,000 kilometres from Hanoi to Bangkok. Um, so we're looking forward to having her on tonight, and she'll go into detail about that expedition. Um, so we were introduced to Claire via uh, social media, believe it or not. We're, you're introduced to a lot of people these days, as, as you know. Um, a previous guest in the podcast and a friend of ours, Ross Hislop, uh, met Claire whilst hiking the Scottish mountains, I believe, up north. Um, and I believe they were on the same mountain leaders course, am I right? I don't. No, I think you've got your your wires tangled there, Mister Burrow. But the Claire is also a um, a mountain leader, and Ross was just doing his mountain leader training, so that's probably what they they connected about, and what you get your wires tangled over. <laughs> you, you need you need AirPods. I've got my earphones tangled here as well tonight. <laughs> um, aye, that's it. No worries. Right, so Claire is on today to talk to us about her experience travelling across the world. Uh, and how she ended up cycling across Southeast Asia from Hanoi to Bangkok, which I find really, really inspiring because I've been to both cities and I'm sure Lewis can vouch for me here mm. how crazy the, the, the driving is over there. So Yeah. One Spe- brave lady. Especially in the cities, the, it's nose to bumper, isn't it? Traffic with the, the mopeds. I wouldn't fancy uh, being a cyclist in there, that's for sure. I wouldn't fancy being a moped, a, mo- <laughs> a mopedist, a, mo- a mopedist either. I wouldn't fancy. You know, <laughs> I'm get that one and go to see if that's even a word. I was on a tuk-tuk over there once with a few of my mates. Remember that? That was scary enough for me. That's, that's a, 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 that's, a few years. <laughs> that's, a, that's an experience, isn't it? Definitely is. Claire has also um, got a background in triathlon, and she that's how she got into cycling. In 2019, Claire completed her first ultra marathon, which she describes as type two fun, and uh, it incorporated a distance of 66 miles in the Cairngorms. And she also completed the Trans Alba. The Trans Alba is a 1,066 mile self supported bike race around Scotland. She's also recently became a mountain leader, as has Lewis and Ross. and she started, or she's starting to lead bike packing trips. So I'll just say that again. She started to lead bike packing trips, <laughs> and that's also going to be based in Scotland, I believe. So and that is a great business venture, isn't it? It sounds like so much fun. Imagine doing that in the summer around that North Coast 500. I it'll be great, and on, on the days that we don't get the wind and the rain, I'm sure it'll be a challenge when the weather's against her. But yeah, absolutely. But listen. She's, came, she's cycled from Hanoi to Bangkok, so why don't we get her on the show and find out a wee bit more about that. Right, thanks a lot for joining us today, Claire, and for sharing your ultra-endurance bike experiences and various other uh, outdoor experiences. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to uh, to share my story. 
Yeah, no, it's something different. Um, I've not had uh, anyone on kind of sharing this sort of type of experiences, so we're grateful to have you on. Um, we'll get started then. Um, before we kind of get into it, then could you give us in the last one a little background information on your professional and uh, personal career so far? Well, I've always kind of struggled to, to separate my personal and professional career because I've always, uh, most of the time, tried to work in areas that I feel very passionate about. And it's usually had um, some kind of focus in sports or the outdoors. So growing up in Birmingham, I didn't really have a lot of opportunities then to spend much time in the mountains or on the sea. But when I, when I left school, I managed to travel a bit further away. That's when I discovered that you know, I loved adventure, loved the outdoors. And then a chance encounter at an outdoor exhibition in Birmingham uh, led to me being offered a job out in Egypt, working on the Red Sea uh, for a diving company. So I started um, my diver training with them as well and became a diving instructor. And it all kind of started from there, I guess. Um, I spent two and a half years out there. Then when I came back to the UK, I worked a bit as a climbing instructor, kayaking instructor and caving um, before I decided eventually it was time to kind of grow up and get myself a, a grown up job in my 20s. So I did that and for about 10 years I worked um, still in the outdoor industry but it was outdoor retail and I was quite successful but eventually just decided that I had to get back to working in the outdoors. And I'd also fallen in love with Scotland and I just took any opportunity I could to come up here. So I came up to Scotland and I decided I needed to be back in the outdoors. Spent a couple of years working on a rib on the west coast of Scotland, running wildlife watching trips. So looking for dolphins and eagles and whales. And it was kind of in the off season during that time in the winter that I decided to go on a big adventure. And that was when I ended up uh, cycling across Southeast Asia. Yeah, so that, that's what we're going to go on to talk about um, very shortly. See, just before we do that, see when you're talking about the outdoor and adventure, what is it about the outdoors and the adventure that, what does it do for you? I think it's, oh, it just gives me freedom. I think when, I, when I'm outside, it's, um, I just feel free, like I can travel anywhere I want to. Um, I like the experience of just being able to push myself, um, yeah, sometimes just to my limits, but I also like to try and push myself past my limits to, yeah. to do things that I didn't think were, were possible. Yeah. Um, I love to introduce other people to the outdoors as well, which is why you know, I strive to work in the outdoors and to get as many other people outdoors as possible, whether it's in the mountains or sea kayaking or on a bike. Yeah, there's so many benefits, aren't there? Physical and yeah. mental, especially in lockdown. Absolutely. Uh, to, to get outside as much as possible um, throughout the day. So then could you give us a brief overview then of the 3,000 kilometre bike ride from Hanoi to Bangkok? Because we were speaking about it in the introduction. Um, we've both been to both cities, I think, so pretty ma uh, manic driving over there and um, so I was just kind of wondering how you cope with that side of it. <laughs> it was it was very manic the driving over there um, especially as where I lived in Scotland before I went over was a car free island so I went from having no traffic whatsoever in the madness of Hanoi and I think it was about two days before I even managed to cross a road. Yeah. They expect you to just walk over the road, don't they? As long as you just walk at a normal pace, and then I just the, think it's the motorbikes it, try and judge it. 
it just works, doesn't it? It's crazy. It's like a guy over on the right with like a, a family of five on his moped and then over on the left there's a guy with a fridge on his moped, things like that. It's just absolutely wild. They just carry mm. anything on these mopeds. Yeah, you just have to watch what the locals do as well. And I figured out the trick in the end was not to look at the traffic. You literally just have to step out into the road. Yeah. Because if you looked at the traffic, they knew you could see them um, and they knew you would stop. Uh -huh. what, what was the craziest thing you've seen on your expedition then? I'm just curious. Like, did you see anything like completely wild or did you have any crazy encounters or was it all kind of... I think most of the crazy encounters were with the with the locals. I mm -hmm. think with, um, with my appearance, I'm, I'm six foot tall. I have a partially shaved head with a mini Mohican. Oh. Um, I think I'm not quite what they were used to seeing. And I would have a lot of people stop and ask to take pictures with me. <laughs> and there was at one point, um, somebody asked me for a photograph while I was kneeling down fixing my bike. And when I stood up, uh, they all screamed and ran away because they were <laughs> intimidated by my height. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I've actually been on my, my motorbike in Hanoi, I just north of Hanoi and crashed it and I bumped my, my calf inside of my calf on the exhaust. So I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get much further in Hanoi, never mind Bangkok. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not really sure why, why I decided to go there. Um, I think when, when I decided um, to, to go on a big adventure, I think I was deciding between going to Southeast Asia and, uh, and South America. And I think kind of Southeast Asia won in the end because I just knew so many other people that had been there and so many of the people had told me stories about them going there. Um, so it just seemed a lot safer for me. Um, was the food anything to do with it? The food was partially to do with it, yes. 100% would really, be my reason. I really looking forward to the food. Yes. A bit cheaper as well, is it not? Over there. Sorry? Not a bit cheaper over there than South America? Oh, much, yeah. much cheaper, yes. I could live off just a couple of pounds a day, yeah. And then how many days does it take? So I was over there for seven weeks in total. I spent a week in, in Hanoi before I left and then a week in Bangkok um, after I finished the trip as well. So I was on the road for five weeks. Right. But I was only actually cycling for about 25 days in the end. So see, see with regards to like the training, not the training, the preparation and stuff for this expedition that you did from Hanoi, Hanoi was it Hanoi to Bangkok or the other way Hanoi about? to Bangkok. Hanoi yeah. to Bangkok. How, how many like months or years was this in the planning or when did you decide to do it? Was it quite spontaneous or? It was fairly spontaneous. So I hadn't, I hadn't done any long distance cycling before that. I think the biggest I'd done was coast to coast in England, mm -hmm. which I did over three days and I paid somebody else to take my bags from, uh, from one B&B to another Airbnb. Um, I was fairly fit at the time because I was doing a lot of triathlons beforehand. I had quite an active job and I was cycling anyway, just for fun. And the training, as soon as you call something training, I kind of, lose interest in it a little bit yeah. but I managed to trick myself into going training um, mm. so on my weekends I was spending most of my time on my bike um, cycling around the west coast of Scotland nice. um, it was a little bit tricky because I lived on an island I would always have to get a boat over to the mainland but fairly regularly after work in the evening I would do a 40 mile route um, from from my island over and back again um, I also did a lot of weightlifting as well um, I just was trying to injury proof myself as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just do as much exercise as I possibly could. Yeah. Um, That's sometimes the things that you can neglect, isn't it? Like yeah. you just think just cycle, 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 but you need to take care of all the other the kind of wee things as well. 
Yes, yeah. A one-day cycle is easy to do. Yeah, even a two-day cycle is easy to do. But once you're doing it day after day, long mileage, you can eat very, very easily pick up injuries. So the mm-hmm. weight training definitely helps with that. And did you have um, like set distance, like a set distance or a set time that you had to achieve every single day, or did you just kind of ride by how you felt? I just rode by how I felt. Um, when I started, I didn't really think, um, didn't really know how far I would get. Um, so I think the first day I did 60 miles, um, very flat 60 miles as well, and eventually you know, built up to about 100 miles a day on average. Um, mm-hmm. My longest day being 160 on the last day. But I didn't have a route planned. I had two places I wanted to go to during the trip. Um, but apart from that, I typically looked at the map each night and thought, oh, that's, that village is a decent distance away. I can get to that village tomorrow. And it was all manual maps and stuff like that? No like, sat-nav technology or anything? Um, I had a manual map just to get an overview. Um, each night, I would usually manage to get internet access so I could look at Google Maps, which proved to be very unreliable. Uh-huh. Um, I ended up in the middle of the jungle um, on numerous occasions. Um, wow. When Google Maps was telling me there was a village there. Um, so in the end, a friend recommended commutes to me. Um, and that, that proved a lifesaver. It could tell me the elevation profile of the day that I was doing. It could tell me exact distances. And it would also tell me you know, points of interest along the way. What was, it, what was, what was the name of the app? C- commute? Commute, K-O-M-O-O-T. Ah, right, that's good. It sounds like Kahoot that we use for the team. <laughs> for quizzes. Um, do you know, so were you camping most nights or did you always stay in accommodation? Or did just depend? I pretty much always stayed in accommodation. Um, sometimes it was just a, a local house and they would take me in, um, but quite often it was just um, you know, small hostels or you know, small hotels. Um, I would have liked to have camped but the the price of the hotels there being maximum about four pounds a night it was it was crazy not to really Mm -hmm. did you have any like sorry clark when you go go. did you have like any like like major setbacks or anything like you got to you're like nearly at the end of a a a day and you're like i don't know where i'm going to stay or did you did you ever have it did you come across any situations like that where you felt like kind of stuck or yeah, there were a few situations like that, um, but I think I was lucky and always managed to manage to get myself out of it. I think the worst day was the day I gave up on Google Maps, actually, mm-hmm. and I planned quite an easy day, and I had spotted a hotel on Google Maps about 60 miles away from where I was, so I cycled there, and I got there, and I was in the middle of the jungle. Uh, there was no sign of civilization anywhere near, but there was a farmer nearby, and I'd managed to use a, a translation app to, um, to, to ask him uh, where the nearest village was. And he, he kind of managed to tell me it was about 10 kilometers further down the road. So I traveled a bit further on. And in the end, this, this village is actually uh, 90 miles away and not, not 60 miles away. Jeez, but, warm. Yeah, I always, I always managed to, manage to find, find somewhere to sleep. Uh, finding food was sometimes more difficult. Mm-hmm. You need to put a lot of trust in people as well if you're kind of out there yourself. And yes, absolutely. I had to put a, a lot of trust in in other people, and it was you know, it always came good in the end. You know, I've met some amazing, amazing people out there, um, and I had some quite scary experiences. But the locals always always helped me out. Mm-hmm. So was it just a just a case of like chapping people's doors to ask them if you could come in to sleep. 
at some point? Yeah, it was occasionally. Most of the time I would kind of identify that there was a hotel or a hostel in the village um, and I'd write down the name of it so I would know where it was. Uh, but there was a couple of occasions when I literally just had to knock on people's doors and they always welcomed me in, always fed me really well. I always got a very good night's sleep. That's amazing. I watched a thing on Netflix called The Kindness Diaries, which was quite similar to that. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've and not, it's, a, no. it's, a, it's a guy that um, goes around, travels the full world. He's a, he was like a multimillionaire, so he travels the full world on his little, he's got a motorbike with a wee side caddy on it. Mm-hmm. And it's called Kindness One. And um, he travels around the world purely relying on the kindness of others. And then if someone offers him like a massive um, act of kindness and takes him in and puts him up for the night, he like does something that's life-changing for them. For example, there was a family in America whose son and his future wife lived in Scotland and they put him up for the night. But this family couldn't afford to go to Scotland for the wedding. He paid for them to go over to the wedding. So it was brilliant. Just all the different people that he met and all the things that he did for them throughout his travels. That is amazing. Yeah, it was on Netflix. Last Christmas, uh, me and a friend cycled south for Christmas, um, relying on the kindness of strangers to put us up. We had bivy bags with us and sleeping bags with us, so we were going to we were going to sleep out. But there was not one night that we had to sleep outside. We were always and, given accommodation. And that was in the UK. That was in the UK, starting right. in Edinburgh, finishing in Manchester. Amazing. It just shows you how powerful the kindness can be of strangers and some people you're always taught when you're young to stay away from strangers and don't trust them um which is actually the opposite i know i'm just on that yeah. list i've got something to tell you before i was watching today on netflix remind me to tell you at the end of this oh. um, tell you later. Um, <laughs> we're going to move on to some training related questions now claire um before you started your expedition uh i know you said it was quite spontaneous and you were putting in like long distance cycles, like 40 miles and building up from there. How did you know you were fit enough to complete it when you were flying out? Was there any doubt setting in on the way over? Or? There were huge doubts on the way over, huge doubts. Um, because it was quite spontaneous, I didn't have a huge amount of time to prepare. Um, I, I just wasn't sure if I would be fit enough to complete it. I wasn't sure how quickly I'd be able to co- complete it. But I think to, to take the pressure off myself, I told myself that I could, I could quit at any point. Mm. If I cycled for a few days and didn't feel safe, I, could, I thought I could jump on a bus and I can you know, do, do the rest of the trip the tourist way. If I got halfway through um, and ran out of time, then I could do the same. I could just jump on a bus and do the tourist thing and get, get to Bangkok that way. Um, so I think by just taking the pressure off myself in that way, I just felt like all I had to do was whatever I was capable of doing each and every day, uh, which is why I started off slowly with 60 miles on the first day. Um, and once I felt that I was fit enough, then I felt safe enough to leave the kind of tourist routes where I could get buses and head to more remote areas. Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, a time? Did you have a, like a time? Like did, did you have the, the flight booked back or did you just leave that open? I did have the flight booked back, yes. So once I'd started the ride, I knew I had uh, just under six weeks to get to Bangkok. Um, But I also knew that I could take any route I wanted to, so I could take um, easier routes, flatter routes, more direct routes. As the crow flies between Hanoi and Bangkok is uh, 1,300 kilometers. So I didn't have to do a full 3,000 kilometers. Okay. Yeah. I think mostly it was a mental preparation. I spoke to a lot of people that had done 
similar things before. Um, there's a group called the Adventure Syndicate. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. No. It's a group of really inspirational women who do a lot of bikepacking trips, um, a lot of self-supported uh, bikepacking trips as well. Um, I got some advice from them. Um, so yeah, I felt definitely mentally prepared, if not physically prepared. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's enough to get you through, isn't it? Yes, push the, push I the body. believe that. Beyond the limit. So, Claire, can I, as you're kind of obviously into your, your ultra-endurance sports and stuff, there's many different components of fitness which are crucial to achieving optimal performance. For challenges like your 3,000-kilometer bike ride from Hanoi to Bangkok, got it right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I keep getting it, I think I'm getting it mixed up. What um, approaches did you use to prepare your body physically for the workload and the recovery? Because I know you can, you spoke about you did like some strength training and you had your your um, kind of bike rides up the west coast of Scotland and things like that. But did you have anything else that you can uh, you focused on? Did you do any other kind of types of training to to prepare yourself for it? Uh, at the time, I was doing a lot of mixed training, so I was just trying to push myself in any any way that I could. Um, I was working on a boat during the daytime, um, which is quite physically demanding itself, a lot of heavy lifting. And then I would go straight from work either to riding my bike or going for a run or swimming in the sea or sea kayaking. Um, you know, I would always just push myself as much as I could throughout the day um, just to build up my recovery for the next day, really. Um, so a lot of my a lot of my training was swimming and running when I couldn't manage to get out on the bike. Yeah, it's one thing. It's one thing training for like a a full day event or something like that. But when it's something that's continuous, like how many days did you say it was? I was cycling for twenty five days in total, but those were sometimes a little bit spread out. I took a couple of breaks in between. Right. Aye. So, like, how do you how do you train for something like that? Like, it's okay saying you can put all like go dead fancy training for like one like a one day event or something but when it comes to something like that then it's just injury prevention a lot of it as well isn't it trying to yeah injury prevention and just managing to to recover enough for the next day yeah um and to manage to keep going when you're tired as well mm-hmm. um, yeah the mental side of it down but you just need to be able to push yourself when you're tired because when you're out on the road and you've still got another 40 miles to go until you get to the next village You've got no choice. You have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think getting get get into a bed at night would be a big motivator for me. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> what What about the the sort of nutrition side of it? Did you have like did you plan any of that, or did you just kind of if you saw like a wee street vendor, would you just get some food as you as you go? So obviously, you couldn't take twenty five days worth of food. No. So I hadn't really anticipated how difficult the nutrition side would be on the ride. Uh, when I was in Hanoi, the the food was quite easy to find. It was really good. But once I'd left from the main towns, um, I thought that the food had become a bit more difficult in, in Vietnam. I, you know, I learnt the Vietnamese for, for chicken and rice, um, and I learnt how to avoid dog and cat. Yeah. <laughs> um, the yeah, food but... wasn't always great, but it was always easy to find in mm-hmm. Vietnam until I headed into the mountains, and I had several days on very very little food. I had one day when all I ate was a bit of pig's intestines. Wow. Um, and there were no, I didn't really anticipate there was nowhere for me to buy prepackaged food that I could take with me. Um, that was very, very difficult to find. So I would just load up with sugary drinks as much as I could. Yeah. Um, when I was in Cambodia and Laos, um, finding places that serve food was also a problem um, because the locals all knew which house to go to that operated as a bit of a cafe. But of course, to an outsider, 
you can't find those you don't recognize um, which houses you can go to for food so so Cambodia I think was the biggest struggle for food um, yeah, so I was over the moon when I got to Thailand and I had pad thai and mango smoothies yeah. in the street corner spoiled for choice yeah, yeah. That, um, what is it they, they call pigs intestines over there is it Vietnamese haggis is it <laughs> <laughs> what um, yeah so that must oh, have been like I a I think, I think I would struggle in Cambodia with the food. <laughs> I think you would. I've seen you as well. I think you would struggle with. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like my grub. Um, what was I going to see when you were going north, like to the north of Vietnam? Did you go through a place called Ha Giang? Was that like the mountains up that way? I didn't get that far. From Hanoi, I just cycled south um, oh, along the coast for a long time. Right, um, okay. And then crossed into Cambodia. Um, I then went north again to get to Laos. Right, and okay, south right. again into Cambodia. Right, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so hey, cause Bangkok's north of Vietnam, isn't it? South. So, oh, is it? Yes. Oh, my. My geography's <laughs> all over. Do you know something? I've, I've got a world map right up there. <laughs> That's terrible. All right, okay. Right, I think I, right, I'll, stop, I'll stop speaking. Right, okay. So, um, so I guess kind of on your, your travels, you would have come across some kind of dangerous and very challenging circumstances. Um, throughout these expeditions that you've been on, Claire. Could you tell us about some of the approaches that you take to maybe develop your resilience or your mental toughness to be in the best possible place to overcome them? Or is it just like doing these challenges kind of give you that kind of benchmark or reference point to always kind of look back to saying, I've, kind of, I've been in that situation before, I know I can get through it again. Or did you have any specific techniques of that that you use to, to help with it? Yeah, there's a few techniques I use. Um, uh, I think most of them I'm not quite aware that that I use. It just kind of comes naturally. But yeah, there's been a few a few dangerous situations over the years. Um, I mean, on the that expedition alone, um, there was definite days when I was um, suffering from starvation, as dehydration. I had a few dangerous run-ins with border officials. Um, I got really lost in the mountains. I was attacked by dogs. I was avoiding snakes on the trails. I got dengue fever and um, I cycled through bushfires as well. Um, so yeah, wow. a lot of dangerous situations. How do you prepare for that? <laughs> uh, I think the best thing is to try and prepare as much as you can plan ahead, think about what dangerous situations may arise of what you might need to do to prepare for them or things you might need to take with you to try and help you get out of that situation. A lot of people say that I'm fearless. Um, I don't think that's always been meant as a compliment, um, but yeah, I, I do feel fear in those situations, but I like mm -hmm. to you know, face my fears and overcome them. Um, so you, don't, you don't think about them until they happen? Yes, and I think the more when you're placed in immediate danger, you kind of act instinctively and yeah. there's no real time to panic. But I think when the, the dangerous situation is a bit more you know, drawn out, I think then you have the issue that you know, panic could set in. Um, a friend of mine once gave me some advice. Um, she said, uh, don't quit while you're crying. Um, now, I'm not much of a crier, but, um, but it, it's a good piece of advice. Um, and I always like to think that if you're faced with that kind of dangerous situation and you, it's a highly emotional situation or you panic, allow yourself that moment to panic and then sit down and think about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything seems a lot easier to cope with when you've had something to drink, you've had something to eat and you've had a good sleep. And I think yeah. that's how I kind of dealt with, with most situations when I was faced with them. 
Um, it's a true saying, isn't it? Isn't it? Like they say, sleep, sleep on it first, and then make yes, the decision the next day. Absolutely. Clear ahead. But I think a lot of people could take inspiration from that because it sounds as if like you don't really sit and think about the things that could go wrong, and then maybe not do it. You just take it on and then deal with it as as and when it comes. And that's good. I think that's good advice for people listening. In. Definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, my most dangerous situation, I think, when I was there, because I think the day I was trying to leave Vietnam, um, I'd been cycling south through Vietnam uh, for a few days and really wanted to go to Laos, but there was a mountain range in the way. And I realised when I was looking at the map that if I didn't if I head inland now, that I would miss Laos completely. Um, and so I decided just to go ahead and cycle over the top of this mountain range. And was there a road? There was a road and then a track at the top. Um, so I decided just to go for it. Um, I stayed at a place close to the mountains uh, the night before and then headed off in the morning. I couldn't find anywhere to eat breakfast, but I'd spotted a village just before the start of the mountain. I thought, it's okay, I can get food at the village. And I got to the village, but couldn't find any food. I think it was mostly a breakdown, a language barrier issue. I managed to get drinks from them, but I couldn't, couldn't manage to get any food. So I just decided to go ahead and climb this mountain um, on an empty stomach. It was a really, really hot day. Uh, I was really struggling with dehydration. The water ran out. I was really hungry. There were streams by the side of the track, but I hadn't done my research. I had no idea if it was safe to drink out of them or not, so I didn't drink out of them. I was dunking my head in them constantly to try and cool my head off. Um, but I think I was climbing for about seven hours in total. And when I got to the top, it was dark and my lights were just reflecting the clouds back at me. I was delirious with, with hunger and with dehydration and with just being exhausted. And every now and then I could see eyes reflected in, in my bike lights. And I could hear the noises of creatures rustling in the undergrowth as well. Sometimes the eyes were really close to the ground and quite small, and I wasn't too worried about those. But on other occasions, the eyes were a lot higher up and a lot bigger. And my imagination just went wild <laughs> with, with what these creatures could be. And I was too scared to stop cycling, uh, fear of being trampled or eaten by these imaginary creatures. Wow. Um, I had found out there was a village supposed to be at the top of this mountain plateau, uh, but by the time I got there, I was so remote, I thought there's no chance of a village being up there. And I started, like, panic started to set in, thinking I was in the middle of nowhere, I had nowhere safe to sleep, there were creatures all around me, I was starving, I was dehydrated. And so finally, I just kind of sat down, took stock of the situation, and thought, well, there's no point turning back. Uh, there's no point in trying to sleep out here because I'll still be hungry in the morning uh, if I survive the night. Uh, so I just carried on cycling. And as I got back onto my bike, that was when I noticed a big glow on the horizon. Um, not from the sun or anything, it was an artificial glow. I thought, like, finally, I can see, you know, there's, there's got to be you know, lights down there, which means there'll be houses. And so I followed this glow and I found this oasis on this mountain plateau. And it was like a, a ghost town. There's hardly anybody there, but I managed to find um, this barn and there were two ladies there serving food to a big party. And despite not, have, not being able to speak to them in a common language, when I turned up, they immediately just took me in 
they must have seen if I arrived there by bike I'd obviously come up the mountain um, and they just sat me down they provided me with food and drinks and then uh, they quickly escorted me to a shower because I must have stunk by that point um, and they put me up for the night um, and that was the one night I really wanted to quit when I went to bed I thought tomorrow morning I'm going to find out where the nearest airport is and I'm going to find out how to get there and I'm just going to fly home. How many days into it was that? That would have been a couple of weeks into it so it was just before I left Vietnam mm -hmm. so I probably would have been on the road for um, about 10 days then um, but yeah when I woke up in the morning I was surrounded by beautiful scenery and I was given breakfast and more drinks um, they'd clean my clothes for me overnight as well and of course i was on top of a mountain then so i had a day of downhill coming to my mind so just a, so that sleep and that wee bit of food and drink and clean Absolutely. clothes just changed everything for me yeah probably yeah. because you were so low it couldn't get any worse yes it was only way it was up from there what um you said you get like attacked by dogs like what what was that talk us about that situation yeah, so I, I'm a, a huge dog lover, so it was it was a bit of a shock to me to find that that they didn't love me too. Um, so it, it happened a lot in Vietnam. I was constantly being chased by dogs. Um, luckily, the majority of my time in Vietnam, it was quite flat, so I could build up quite a lot of speed and get away from them. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was quite scary. And towards the end of my time in Vietnam was when I decided to myself that I'm okay with kicking a dog. If yeah. it's going to bite me. Um, and I actually started carrying rocks in my pocket at one point to, to just throw at dogs, just in case they came close. I never had to use them, but I just felt like I had a, a bit more protection with something to be able to oh. throw at them. Oh, that's terrifying. We, um, me and my girlfriend, we were in the Philippines and we were on a place, a place called Cebu, which is like one of the islands there. And we hired a moped and you can, pretty much where we were, you can go right down the kind of bottom coast of the island. And um, I was driving along in the moped, and this dog just came running out from nowhere and tried to take like a nibble at my ankles, man. I absolutely got to fright my life. Nearly came off the thing. But like, I don't know where it came from. Just ran out of nowhere, just this wild stray dog, and just went for us. The thing is, if they bite you as well, you probably end up with yeah, that's it. Aye. disease. Yeah. That could have been it, spoiled, holiday over. <laughs> so, lastly, then, uh, Claire, did you like. Uh, like I participate in a lot of extreme challenges as well, um, like running ultra marathons and stuff, and I do a lot of cold water therapy and so does Lewis. So I suppose I do that because I think it makes me better at my job, it makes me a better person. Um, so these are the reasons I push myself. Do you feel as if you are the same, and do you feel as if you've maybe taken any lessons from, from, from your endurance events that you can transfer into your life? Absolutely. There's so many lessons I've learned. There's probably more lessons than I even am aware of. Um, it's taught me that I'm, I'm stronger than I will ever know. Um, taught me not to doubt myself because there were so many times on the trip that I, I doubted myself, doubted whether I'd be able to do part of it, doubted whether I'd be able to make it. Um, and in the end, although there was challenges, I managed to, I managed to complete all of it. Um, I think as well, like, well, I think by, pushing, like, by you going over there and pushing yourself, you can't really learn that from just sitting in the house. It's only, no, you, you have to go through it, don't you? Yeah. You have to go through the experience. But I also realised that um, I really love to inspire other people. 
So I started posting on social media and doing a blog during the trip. And it was mostly just to let my mum know that I was still alive. <laughs> but loads of people started following and I was getting messages from lots of people who I'd never spoken to before. And there's so many people saying it inspired them to do similar things. And there's lots of people asking me to talk about my trip since then and a little bit of public speaking. And I just kind of realized how much I love kind of passing my experience on to other people and inspiring them to, to, to get out, you know, push themselves past their comfort zone and do similar things. Brilliant. What was, I, I meant to ask you earlier on, but I suppose this kind of leads itself nicely to it then. What was your inspiration into doing all this then? Did you have any inspiration growing up or did you just come across it? Um, my inspiration, I, I kind of got into bikepacking just before I did the trip, but I never even knew that people did this kind of long distance, you know, over multiple countries kind of thing until I was out there and met other people doing it. Um, I'd say my, my inspiration was from, for meeting other women that were going out and doing these things you wouldn't expect of them, um, you know, going out and being able to push themselves doing these huge challenges quite often on their own in dangerous situations and i was like wow you know it, it is it is possible mm -hmm. well, you, you must get this a lot as well like people asking you why you do these things so and so what would you say back to anybody that asks you why like why would you even want to put yourself in that situation what do you say back to that i think i do them because i can i it's it, it's there you know i'm physically capable of doing it um anything that seems too difficult to me i have to try and do it mm -hmm. um, i think that's why i push myself to try and find out you know, where my limits are yeah. um I've, I've started uh, world swimming a lot this year um and before i was like there's no way i can swim in the winter i can't push myself to, to throw myself in the water in the winter um uh, but you don't know until you try and now i'm swimming uh, about three times a week and just open water. Yeah, in open water. I'm lucky enough to live right by the sea, so mm -hmm. I throw myself in after work. It's amazing what your body can do, isn't it? Really, yeah. like a lot of people go through their full life and don't even have a like they just think it's completely off bounds, all that kind of stuff. But it's just not at all. Yeah, and your it's, body adapts really, really quickly. And it's fascinating. I think that's what's like that's quite a, a pulling factor towards doing these things as well, just to see what you can see, what you're truly able to do. Yeah. Yeah, that was hugely inspirational, Claire. Thanks very much. And I think sometimes it is just down to that perception, isn't it, from the mind, like it holds people back and thinking that their body can't do it, but it is sometimes just getting out of your mind and giving it a go. Yeah. So that was brilliant. Thanks very much. We're going to move on to the quick fire round now, so I'll pass you back on to Lewis. Right, okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right. So at the end of all of our podcasts, Claire, we do a wee quick fire round of three again, just for a, a wee bit of fun, just a nice way to finish off the podcast, I suppose. So three quick questions for you to, to round us off tonight. So if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown or anywhere in the world, or maybe maybe at that halfway point during your expedition, what would it say on it? I think it would definitely be useful at that halfway point on the expedition. And it would say, you are stronger than you believe. Right. I think I've had a lot of catchphrases throughout the time. And that's, that's one that's kind of stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Love it. Number two, what book or books have had the greatest influence on your life? I think there's three. I think the first kind of outdoors based book I ever read was The First 50 by Muriel Gray. Um, and it, it kind of talks about her first 50 Munros um, 
and it was just really inspirational to see you know, a, a woman kind of you know leading the field in this um and kind of an unlikely woman um to you know see her up in the mountains being as strong as strong as all the men um and just getting on and doing it uh, really really enjoyed that and it inspired me to uh, to come to scotland and cl start climbing runways nice um, Second one would be the first kind of adventure book I read was Dare to Do, Dare to Do by Sarah Alton. So she um, traveled the world by bike, kayak, and uh, ocean rowing boat. Um, it took her a long time. She had a lot of challenges along, along the way, um, but yeah, that was- So she didn't, she didn't get any flight, any, whoa, I'm getting a lot of noise. Did that sound funny there? Yeah. No, I can edit it anyway. Um, so did she do it all without getting any flights and things like that then? It was yes, all Yes, without getting any flights. On um, her own? She did it, she, on, um, some people joined her along the way, but it was never, never you know, planned or for a long uh -huh. time. She would have been on the ocean herself as well, I guess. Uh, she did, ha when she was in a rowing boat, yes, she was completely on her own. Um, she did have somebody accompany, accompany her for the kayaking section. So. That's crazy. Um, and the last one, I think, would be um, Pants of Perspective by Anna McNuff. Um, so that's about Anna McNuff's um, running the length of New Zealand, both islands. Um, no. And I think she kind of had a similar perspective to me to start off with, that she didn't really consider herself much of an athlete. She had a bit of imposter syndrome, I guess. Um, but yeah, she managed to complete it. Mm -hmm. And how, how far is that then? What was the kind of total distance uh, that she... I'm not sure on for hers, but she's gone on to do quite a lot of other stuff since then. She Last year or the year before, she ran barefoot uh, the length of Britain. I feel like I've heard that name before. Like I, I feel like I might follow her on Twitter. Yes, and she's, uh, she's quite well known now. You've probably yeah. heard of her. I've been inspired listening to that. Yeah. Um, a lot to pick a country and run the length of it. I know. There's just so much, but so much scope really out there. That. I know. Right, Claire, final question then. What advice would you give to a young person who wants to take on challenging expeditions like the ones you have achieved? I guess to believe in yourself, but at the same time, don't be too hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. um, it's too often we don't, uh, we don't push ourselves to do big challenges because we're worried about failure. Um, but you just ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen if you do fail? Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. Love that. I think that can um, apply to a lot of people in a lot of different aspects in their life. So that's a, a great way to, to finish his offer today. So thanks very much for giving up your time. And hopefully we'll, we'll see you out on the, the hills if I'm out with Ross climbing some Munros at some point in the future. Yeah. That'd be great. It was really nice to meet you, Claire. That was really inspiring for me. Uh, and thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Mr. Cleland, key takeaway message time, 2021. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it done. No, that was, I'm so inspired. Um, I'll just tell the listeners, we didn't do the key takeaway message straight away after the podcast. We've had a good 15 minutes chatting about uh, running and walking the Cape Wrath <laughs> trail in Scotland. <laughs> running, across, uh, running across Malawi and that. Aye, so. That, I don't know about you, but that gives me the most, like that motivates me so much. Like I just want to go and, and um, uh -huh. get, and get get something planned, and I just adventure's the best thing in the world, in my opinion, for mm -hmm. just for 
your, just your well-being, go out and have an adventure. It doesn't need to be anything crazy like that, but just even go up a, just go and walk a Monroe or go and do mm-hmm. something that's out in the outdoors. It's just fascinating. It's just brilliant. It just, it does so mm-hmm. much for you. And if oh, you that what, was my key takeaway message. What was that? What was it? Take me away. That Take me away. You just said it. You just said it. <laughs> no, um, mine would be similar to what Lewis just said about <laughs> you're looking up at your map now too late. <laughs> I tell you, I'm embarrassed. Um, I'm embarrassed, Mr. Burrow. <laughs> what about the Hanoi thing? About the Hanoi. It's Bangkok <laughs> south and north. Why did I have it in my head that it's north? I don't know. I'm looking up. I'm trying to see. I've got this the, the wee world map above my... There's only another flight because I remember I flew through Bangkok to Hanoi. Which we, I, I mean, I couldn't have told you it was north or south, but... It's... Ah, right, Okay. I as south. I think it is. No, it's, it's, it's like kind of southwest, southeast. Uh, so, southwest. Because I flew from Bangkok to Hanoi, right? So obviously it goes north. Oh, I can see it. Northeast, I think, is it? So it'd be northeast. Yeah. But obviously, when I was in the flight, it didn't feel as if I was going up power that. But <laughs> did you not have your compass out in the plane? <laughs> no, I just took it off me. I was on my phone. <laughs> just took my compass off me. Oh, brilliant! Right, so. Aye, that's what I was wanting to say. I was embarrassed there. My geography is no on point, but that's something I need to need to brush up on. That world map's not doing many favours. <laughs> so what was your takeaway message would be about how it's um, when you take on. I've just been like the inspiration, really. Like how inspired you've been as a result of what she said. Mm-hmm. Like um, encourage people to you know take on challenges that they that they're interested in, and it's definitely motivated me. And I think when, when Claire spoke about being fearless and not really allowing ourselves to, to doubt to stop her doing it, it's okay doubting yourself and feeling anxious. We all feel it. Mm-hmm. It's really about trusting yourself and thinking that you can do it and trying. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get stuck by the, the perceptions that other people put on them or the, the, the belief systems that they've got are stopping them from doing. And um, these challenges. Not even that. I know even like that challenge, like just climbing a Monroe. Can I climb Monroes or I can't go in the, the cold water for five minutes? Can I, you can't do open water swimming in the winter. That's, that doesn't happen. We're not built for that. Well, no. It's just a, it's just a, it's crazy, isn't a it? Common, it's a common misconception. So it's about challenging those and doing and doing what you want to do. You know, you don't need to do it if you don't enjoy it. It's all about enjoying it as well, isn't it? It's only you that can find out if you can do it or no. Go mm. and do it. I know everybody needs to cycle three thousand kilometers for. Hanoi to Bangkok. Exactly. No, they need to jump in the Clyde in the winter, but no. do something that challenges you, something that you're passionate about, something that enjoy you enjoy. Doesn't even need to be like physical activity. It could be anything that you you enjoy doing. Go and give it a bash. Try no, it. You're right. You're right. It's like cha- the three words you just said: they're challenge, passion, and enjoy. Mm-hmm. It needs to be something that challenges you, and what challenges you and what challenges me is different. So yeah, what I enjoy is different for yours. So I'm sure that's the same for everybody listening. So. Get after it. <laughs> Brilliant. Words of wisdom there. Uh, your, Matt, sorry, I was uh, going to ask you, but just uh, on then. You're like, like, uh, ignorant. <laughs> you're ignorant so-and-so, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, my, my takeaway, mate, I just thought it was, our mindset was good when she was going to do a 3,000 kilometre bike journey. Was it from Bangkok to Hanoi? Hanoi <laughs> to Bangkok. I'm joking. Um, she went south. Uh, so... <laughs> Mine's was how she said like she could stop at any point so she wasn't like trapped when she was doing it if she felt like she wasn't going to make it for a flight she could always go to the nearest village get a bus and do it the touristy way or if 
she felt unsafe at any point. She could always just, there's always a way out. So that was a good way of looking at it, taking the pressure off herself and then um, just taking it day at a time to see how she was progressing because she could always stop at any point and get out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was like, but, I think about that as well. Like when I go out sometimes, like days out with you, I'm always like, <laughs> after each drink, I can always go. You know what I mean? But after each drink, I never go. I was like, <laughs> you, you just stay it. Uh, each water. <laughs> um, no, but I thought that was a, a really good mindset that she adopted. And aye, so it's, it's a good way to look at it. But it was, it was mainly what she was saying about how she was she was like starving at points and just some of the stories that she was telling is like she was seeing like these eyes at animals and that when she was climbing up the mountain on her bike and it was just it was it was harrowing like imagine oh, that at night time just no idea where you are like oh. that's that's she what she actually you... took me to that place i thought it was if i was in that place when she was Aye. i was trying to visualize it it was almost as scary as the time me and you were doing the west island way during the night in loch lomond <laughs> and thought it was mountain goats <laughs> did you think about that when she was saying it <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, um, thought mountain goats were really, really frightening. When they hey. done a public, we done a public talk about it over in Brazil. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, they get like snakes and jaguars and all those big, big scary animals. <laughs> we're freaking out over a couple of mountain goats at <laughs> the banks of Loch Lomond. A goat. A goat. <laughs> Alec Thomas needs to have them in his, his farm at the back. <laughs> big friendly goats. Shout out to Crumb. <laughs> right, well, I that kind of went off track a wee bit, but anyway, that leads us uh, nicely to the end of the first podcast of 2021. I thought that was a brilliant way to start it. Um, a really, really inspiring guest. She she can she does what she loves. She's a mountain leader. She's looking at doing bike packing tours across Scotland. So Claire Davies, get her on Instagram, and if you fancy doing a, a bike packing tour across Scotland, I'm sure you'll you'll find her on there, and you can get out and about and experience these adventures. Um, certainly love to go and do it with her and I'm sure you would as well Mr Burrow but I thanks again for everybody who tuned into this week's episode of the podcast uh, we hope you enjoyed that one as much as we did and until next week thanks for listening to a wee bit of everything take care